0: Hey everyone, I'm Thanos D'Abelis, and welcome back to The Greek Current, a podcast by the Hellenic American Leadership Council and Kathy Merini, where we highlight the top stories of the day every afternoon with analysis from guest experts, policymakers, journalists, and HELC staff. A few months ago, the State Department pulled its support for the East Med gas pipeline that would bring Israeli and Cypriot gas to Europe via a pipeline from Cyprus to Greece, a move that had broad diplomatic support in the region. In a recent op-ed in The National Interest, Michael Rubin argues that this decision by the Biden administration neither furthers national security nor combats climate change. Instead, it deliberately undercuts European gas alternatives as the continent looks to wean itself off Russian gas and oil, empowers irredentists in Russia and Turkey, and diminishes America's reputation in Europe. Michael Rubin joins The Greek Current to discuss his latest piece and explain why it's time for the Biden administration to reverse this decision and go all in on the East Med pipeline. Michael Rubin is a resident scholar at the American Enterprise Institute and a former Pentagon official. Michael, welcome back on The Greek Current. Thank you, Thanos. Michael, a few months ago, the Biden administration issued a non-paper reversing its support for the East Med gas pipeline. Given Russia's invasion of Ukraine and Europe's dependency on Russian energy, has this proved to be a serious diplomatic misstep?
1: It has been an absolute diplomatic misstep. But you know, the nature of this is that there's nothing other than the Biden administration's own pride. Which is preventing them from reversing the decision. When the Biden administration did this, Russia hadn't invaded Ukraine. Some of the concerns about over dependence on Russian gas and pipelines coming from Russia were dismissed by critics as too theoretical. Now we know that the problem was real, the threat is real, so it's time to reconsider the EastMed pipeline.
0: As you write in your piece, you know, support for the East Med pipeline was pulled because the state deemed the project commercially inviolable you noted that this was a misguided decision. Can you get into the details of that?
1: Well, absolutely. First of all, it's not for the State Department to determine what is or is not commercially viable. Very few people in the State Department actually have experience in this. Second of all, that you've got a situation where with the price of gas increasing, the price of oil increasing, things which may have been deemed not commercially viable not so long ago suddenly appear very commercially viable. More importantly, when we look at some of these pipelines, the issue shouldn't only be what's commercially viable or not, or what's the best commercial deal or not. We now see that ideology matters, and overdependence on Russia, or for that matter on Turkey, allows those autocratic states to blackmail us. If we're relying much more on democracies, not only are we benefiting those democracies, allowing them to resource themselves, But ultimately, our energy supply and Europe's energy supply will be much more secure.
0: And this ultimately goes back to a question of national security.
1: It's absolutely all about national security. And this should be the lens that first and foremost, we should be gauging our energy outreach on. We're talking about a choice between relying on Iranian oil, relying on Venezuelan oil, relying on Russian oil, relying on Turkish transit, or supporting Greece and Cyprus. To me, this is a no-brainer.
0: Keeping with the national security theme, you listed a few examples of instances where national security concerns have trumped commercial calculations, and you specifically bring up the U.S. campaign against Chinese telephone manufacturer Huawei. Can you elaborate on this?
1: I think that China and Huawei is a key example here that the Biden administration should recognize. You know, a lot of people overseas in Europe and so forth want Huawei phones or want Huawei infrastructure communications infrastructure because they believe it'll be cheaper. But we know that Chinese intelligence and the Chinese military are deeply involved in that infrastructure. And so the success of U.S. administrations have said and pressured our European colleagues, you know, we shouldn't be relying on Huawei. We should be looking for alternates. And we've been proposing alternates even when they're more expensive. The same thing is true when it comes to gas and Europe's gas supplies. Europe needs gas. Alternate energy isn't enough. And until we can support that, we should be focusing on how to supply that European gas through a democratic network rather than through an autocratic network.
0: As it pulled its support for the East Med pipeline, Michael, the State Department also highlighted a series of projects that it does support in the region. What do you make of this inconsistency from Foggy Bottom?
1: Well, first of all, When we're looking at some of the projects, we need to keep in mind that sometimes the lobby within the State Department that seems to always want to bring Turkey back into the fold is willing to cut diplomatic and commonsensical corners in order to do that. And so when we're talking about reviving trans-Turkish pipelines, that ultimately won't solve the problem of an over-reliance on dictatorships. I mean, the Russian dictatorship is bad enough. But, you know, the Azeri dictatorship and rigid Erdogan's dictatorship in Turkey aren't far behind in terms of, for example, Turkey's support for groups like Hamas. And the fact of the matter is there wouldn't have been an Islamic state fighting in Iraq and Syria if Turkey hadn't provided them with logistical, if not material, support. And so this notion that the State Department made was simply nonsensical. That said... You know, now is the time to incentivize the Development Finance Corporation in order to not put all our eggs in one basket and to look at other alternates also in the Eastern Mediterranean and Europe. The one thing we need to watch out for is sometimes these diplomatic magic formulas risk leading the United States into a trap. So, for example, when Recep Tayyip Erdogan said, you know, since the East Med pipeline isn't going anywhere, why don't we do a direct-to-Israel-to-Turkey pipeline to transport gas? Some pundits may say, you know, that's a great idea, but when you actually look at the map, there's no way to do that without violating both Lebanon's and Cyprus's exclusive economic zones. And so the State Department risks Erdogan tricking them into undermining the sovereignty of both Lebanon and Cyprus. That's not something we should do. And frankly, the fact that Turkey would try a trap like that really shows where Turkey's motives are at this point.
0: In your piece, Michael, you noted the role of certain individuals in this decision-making process. Are there particular officials in the administration that are not being helpful here?
1: Well, I mean, when we look at the big picture, one can point to the climate envoy, John Kerry, who seems willing to put his more extreme interpretation of climate issues above any other variables that we need to consider, especially when it comes to national security. But more broadly, there are a host of folks within the Biden administration who don't hold confirmed positions, who therefore haven't been fully vetted by Congress, who seem to be taking extremely radical positions. So, for example, you have Amos Hochstein, who previously served in the Obama administration. He's gone into the um, Biden administration basically working on energy issues, but in a non-confirmed assistant envoy position. And he's been pushing some of the, both the downfall of the East Med pipeline, some of the Turkish alternatives. But what really should cause us to question his judgment is he's actually gone on TRT, the Turkish state media, which is registered with the Justice Department as a foreign agent, in order to basically bash the Eastern Med pipeline and promote Turkey's interests. That's not something that any U.S. official, any Biden administration official with good judgment should do. And that's frankly something which both Democrats and Republicans in the Senate should certainly make some inquiries about and try to get him before the Senate to answer some questions.
0: You write that aside from diminishing America's reputation among its partners in Europe, this decision has also empowered irredentists in Turkey and Russia. Can you talk about the broader diplomatic ramifications?
1: Well, when I was talking about irredentism, it's no secret, for example, that what we're seeing now in Russia is Vladimir Putin's desire of restoring a greater Russia that would basically encompass all of the former Soviet Union, if not parts of Eastern Europe. When it comes to Turkey, I refer back to that trick where Erdogan was trying to be too clever by half by saying, let's have an Israel to Turkey pipeline, knowing that to do so, would actually be an endorsement of Turkey's expansive and illegal interpretations of exclusive economic zones in the Mediterranean. Basically, what Erdogan is trying to do is to get commercial companies and the United States State Department through its own, he hopes, through carelessness, to implicitly endorse an idea that Cyprus's exclusive economic zone doesn't exist. And that's something that we really need to keep an eye on. Again, when you actually look at what's going on behind the scenes, you see that Erdogan, rather than acting sincerely, is trying to trick the United States into a much more ideological position that would affirm Erdogan's own ambition.
0: Building on the diplomatic ramifications of this decision on the East Med pipeline, where do Iran and Venezuela fit in this picture? Because we've read about the U.S. potentially turning to Venezuela to replace sanctioned Russian oil and gas. And there's also been talk more broadly about the role Iran could play.
1: Well, first of all, I mean, there's no better place for the United States to turn than the United States itself. And the fact of the matter is, if we issued more permits, we could once again become energy independent just within the United States and not have to rely on any other countries. Certainly, there's a huge drawback for working with Iran or Venezuela. As you know, my background is with Iranian studies. That's what I did my PhD in. And in short, you've got 40% of the Iranian economy controlled by the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, including the entirety of the oil industry. That means that if we ask the Iranians to produce more oil, we're pumping money into the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, which is destabilizing the region, including funding Hezbollah and funding attacks that in the past have struck at Athens, have struck inside Cyprus and in Bulgaria as well. So that's not something we should be doing. Where I say that this actually diminishes America's reputation in the region is President Biden has repeatedly said diplomacy is back. Part of diplomacy should be recognizing that we should treat our allies better than our adversaries. And we have no better allies in the eastern Mediterranean or, frankly, in a much broader region than we have with Greece and Cyprus.
0: If, you know, the slogan diplomacy is back is going to be more than that. What steps should the U.S. need to take? starting today, for example, when it comes to the East Med Pipeline and the region more broadly?
1: Well, first of all, we need to reverse our decision with regard to the East Med Pipeline. The East Med Pipeline is likely commercially viable, but even if it's not, it's just the beginning. We should be working with our development finance corporation in order to invest in other possibilities in the Eastern Mediterranean and in Europe so that we have a means to provide energy to not only Greece and Cyprus, but to Italy, to the Balkans and so forth, without actually having to go through the chokeholds of autocratic states like Russia and Turkey. The time for investment is now, and we have the means to do it. It's just a matter of actually some national security coordination and a broader grand strategy, which we act upon. That's what's frustrating. We operate in the realm of rhetoric. We have people like Amos Hochstein running around in alliances with Turkish state broadcasters and foreign agents, and that's not something which we should be doing. We should be laying the groundwork to a much more comprehensive energy strategy now that we... I mean, there's no denying what's at stake now that we see what Russia has done. And look, I'm not blaming the Biden administration on this. There's enough blame to go around. But the fact of the matter is, I mean, over the last couple of administrations, we've let this slide. Now's the time to fix the problem, since the problem is undeniable. And there's no better way to start than by working with our allies in Europe, including in the Eastern Mediterranean, with Greece, with Cyprus. And if I may say, with Egypt, with Israel, we want to broaden peace. You've actually had the Palestinians and Israelis working jointly on this. It just seems to be a win-win situation all across the board.
0: Michael, thanks again for joining us. Great speaking with you. Thank you, Dennis. In other news, an appraisal drilling for hydrocarbons off Cyprus has reaffirmed a reservoir of high-quality gas in an area licensed to ExxonMobil and Qatar Petroleum, the island's energy ministry said on Monday. The drilling was conducted by a consortium of ExxonMobil and Qatar Petroleum, which holds a license over an offshore area southwest of Cyprus known as Block 10. The Ministry of Energy, Commerce and Industry said in a statement that the joint venture will proceed with a detailed analysis and assessment of the collected data to specify the qualitative and quantitative characteristics of the reservoir— but also the potential of developing and commercializing the find. Cyprus previously estimated gas resources in the reservoir of 5 to 8 trillion cubic feet. Finally, Greece's consul general in Mariupol, the last EU diplomat to evacuate the besieged Ukrainian port, said on Sunday the city was joining the ranks of places known for having been destroyed in wars of the past. Manolis Andrulakis assisted dozens of Greek nationals and ethnic Greeks to evacuate the ruined city since Russia's invasion of Ukraine. He left Mariupol on Tuesday, and after a four-day trip through Ukraine, crossed to Romania through Moldova. What I saw, I hope no one will ever see, Androulakis said as he arrived on Sunday at Athens International Airport and was reunited with his family. Mariupol, a city of more than 400,000 before the war, has historically had a sizable population of ethnic Greeks. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in.